There are those who say that life is an illusion and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. Look who the birds have brought us this week. Welcome and congratulations for crossing the threshold of realities. There's much to share if you know the language of the birds. Welcome back to the Godbox Cafe in an effort to be mindful of what would be best for the collective's mental health and physical well-being. I offer you a glorious interview where the beauty of amateur sports is appreciated. I have the extreme pleasure of having a guest who is a creator of champions and in my books is also a Zen master. He has inspired me and I have no doubt will inspire you through the course of this conversation. May I present the founder, head coach and director of the Toronto School of Archery, Mr. Maciej Karlovski. Welcome to the Godbox Cafe, Maciej. Hello, thank you. Before we get down to our conversation, which would be focusing on archery as a sport versus a meditation, I would love for you to share with the listeners how archery discovered you and the effect of amateur sport on your personal journey. Well, we have to talk separately about my introduction to, to amateur sports versus archery. Um, when I was 12, 13 years old, I, was, um, I became a track and field athlete on the insistence and, and uh, advice of my phys ed teacher who said, go there and see this man. And that was a high jump um, coach that I had to see. And um, I stayed with uh, the sport for four years and it was my introduction to amateur sports and the Olympic dream or Olympic ideas, um, Olympic movement, uh, which was very strong in communist Poland uh, for political reasons, but not only. It was understood by that culture, that being the Polish culture, that sport is very important for kids and, and uh, for everyone. And we had the saying, and we still do, that it can be translated into sport is health. And I believe that, um, although I don't speak French, the French also have this exactly the same saying. I wonder why there is no such saying in English. So this was my introduction and participation in the amateur sports um, when I was a kid or a teenager. And also, archery was uh, Robin Hood and Indians, and, and uh, we all know about that. So as kids, we built our own bows, and we, we shot at chickens, and we ate one of those eventually one day. Uh, the poor thing was tormented to the point where it had to be in the pot, and we had a good dinner. So we shot bows, and, and then the sport of archery started with my imagination when I saw uh, an amateur archery club in Sopot, Poland, that's northern Poland, where I lived, and I saw a competition. I was 10 years old or so, and I was amazed and totally taken aback about what I saw. And I was too shy to go and approach them, to join them, because I saw they were only adults, so, and I was a kid, so I was too shy and didn't do anything. But it stayed with me until I was 43. And through a casual conversation with a teenager, and I was a youth worker and a program coordinator for, uh, for a teen program uh, in Etobicoke at that time, through the casual conversation with a teenager, uh, it appeared that he had a bow, and I, and I borrowed the bow from him. I shot it, and I was totally amazed at, at the feeling I got from it. So then I, I started looking for, for connections, and I found Alexander Lachter, who is a world-class archery coach coming from um, Ukraine, and um, he resides in Toronto, is not active in archery because... He's at odds with, with the ideas, uh, with the archery ideas in both in this province and in this country. So he didn't want to participate in this kind of childish uh, <laughs> approach to, to the sport of archery, as he calls this, as he saw it. Anyway, I met Alex. Uh, he be became my first teacher, and uh, we made friends. We we're friends uh, still. So this is how I was interested in archery. And immediately after starting to, to learn from him, and he gave me a, cr a crash course in, in, in teaching archery. Knowing that I was a teacher and, and a former athlete, it was not 
hard for me to to switch into into this idea of teaching archery and, and somehow I clicked with both with Alex and with the sport. Shortly after he introduced me to the sport, working with kids, uh, designing and running programs for them, I said archery is a great vehicle to work with kids because it teaches you what I now call self-management. And it's an, a very individual sport. You're not dependent uh, on a team. You're not part of any group situation that, that pressures you into action, which means you are alone on the line and you have to make all the decisions yourself. So that is your self-management for you. And I started a program in 1995 that then grew very quickly within two years into a national caliber um, club. I'd like to talk about the difference between the Western perception of sport and how archery is perceived from an Eastern perspective and how, if at all, you've incorporated or allowed for the philosophies to merge in some way, shape, or form, or is it possible to combine them? Well, there are a few questions within your question. One thing that comes to mind that is very important is that archery has been with humanity for tens of thousands of years. And we need to have a close look at what archery was in traditional cultures 10,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago or 20,000 years ago. Bows were used for survival, both in warfare and in hunting. So shooting a bow was a matter of life and death. And it is an important aspect of archery which we should not overlook and we should include in our way of understanding it and then teaching it to others. How different individuals, regardless of age, react to shooting a bow. How they react to what we call failure and success how they react mentally uh, to those aspects of, of shooting an, uh, an arrow shows us that there are some very deep psychological mechanisms there at work. And probing into those is important for a coach and an archer in the sport of archery. Another aspect that, that you touched upon is the Eastern way. Let's start with the Western approach. In my opinion, Western cultures are somewhat shallow being so uh, materialistic uh, that in itself causes us to slide on the surface of many things so we are in the western culture we are obsessed with results we are therefore putting the whole thing on the on the platform of failure and success which is an a great oversimplification and it causes a lot of mental uh, kinks, you know, and, and mental problems uh, for archers. Pressure of winning, pressure of having to win, representing your country, uh, being expected to win and do well, how all those things uh, resulted in, in what we saw. So these are important aspects to look at um, and, and include in, into your understanding and teaching archery because if you oversimplify uh, the sport and bring it only to the level of failure and success, uh, you will not be successful as an archer, you will not be successful as a coach. And then if we look at archery from the other side, which is the eastern side, well, I believe I read somewhere that in the 12th century, the Turks or Tartars, I mean arrow shooting cultures, they, and they competed a lot, not only fought with bows and hunted with bows, but there were a lot of competitions as the way to, to, to hone their skills and, and have fun and play. Those guys understood then that archery is a mental game. And uh, Toxophilus is the title of a book written by Mr. Roger, I believe, in um, 15th century. He was an Englishman and he wrote a book on archery in which he said something like seeing adult men running with fear in their hearts from their bows and arrows because they were so nervous to shoot the bow, being afraid of missing. So, and another aspect of, of mental side of archery. So, the Eastern way, well, let's maybe simplify this a little. Without meditation, which is a very common uh, practice among Westerners these days, and for a good reason. Our culture is missing things, and we look for them in other cultures, and we find them. One of those things was and is meditation. Only those who have meditated will understand what meditation does to you in not only 
stops the chatter in your mind and frees you from this constant barrage of, of unnecessary and unwanted thoughts, it also allows you to find your deeper self. And then once you start, start probing into the depths of yourself, you see that it's almost a bottomless pit. And it's a journey within, and uh, well, the deeper you go within, the more you will know yourself, if that is at all possible. Uh, and, and you'll be a, a more complete person. And if you're a more complete person, you'll be a more complete athlete. The Japanese art of, of Kyudo, which is the traditional Japanese ar uh, archery, it's part of the, the samurai culture, or wo Japanese warrior samurai culture, and it's considered uh, the highest form of the samurai martial arts. They have a saying, one arrow, one life, which sheds some light at the importance of, of shooting an arrow, what it is for them, how engaged they are, how dedicated they are to the idea of finding harmony within yourself, finding peace, finding your center from which you can shoot the arrow towards the center of the target. So your center and the center of the target become one. A puzzling idea for some Westerners, and Alan Watts, who wrote uh, the great uh, book, the, the Way of Zen, a long time ago, one of the first, I think, that um, opened um, the Eastern ways to the Western world, he said that the Western mind cannot understand anything that it cannot put in words. Well, With regards to the whole idea of how do Westerners wrap their heads around, uh, for example, I've actually read the books that you referred to, and it was absolutely fascinating to me, and I wondered how many students that you'd have in a program, which obviously is geared towards competitive archery for, for the most part, how would they deal with the fact that it would take months before they were ever to put an arrow in the bow and shoot it? Well, it's not months. Uh, we differ uh, very much in our way of teaching from what is uh, usually done in, in, in this country, in Canada. Uh, their idea being that if a, if a kid, or we talk, we're talking about kids mainly, if a kid who comes as a beginner to the program, if he doesn't or she does not shoot an arrow on the first session, they will be discouraged and they will not come back which in my mind is a silly approach because it, it hinges on the, on the idea that the kid is not able to learn with discipline and, and will not listen to explanations and, and to logic of, of learning. And we all know that uh, we learn things in steps and uh, the slower you do it, the better you will learn. So patience is of essence here and, and if a kid cannot be taught patience or introduced to patience, to begin with, well, forget it. I mean, put them in front of a TV, or a computer, or a, or a Game Boy. I think that archery, um, when you teach it, when you learn it, uh, the best thing to approach it is as movement or motion rather than shooting, because shooting, by definition, or uh, we all understand it, in, it, it has in it the failure and success component. So. When I shoot, well, I either miss or hit, so therefore there's this expectation and there is then uh, evaluation, immediate evaluation, did I do well and so on and so forth. So there's then frustration and, and, and unhappiness with the result if it's not what we wanted. So if we then approach our tree as motion and perfect the motions involved, then we will be shooting very well. In other words, it's focusing very simply on the process and not on the result. So putting the, uh, the, the cart before the horse uh, will not propel us or take us from A to B as we want to go there. So again, let's focus on the process, try to perfect or build the, or make the process right, and then we will have the results. It is not easy, of course, to work with kids uh, um, who are Westerners and who are very much in tune with the Western world and with the Western ways, and, and uh, it's not easy to, to even talk to them about different approaches. It's good to be able to stop them in their tracks, in their rapid movement towards things that they want to get, and, and so they can start having a look around and having a look at themselves in self-reflection. That's what I call stopping them in this running, 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 running towards something that they want or wish or, or demand. 
and once we, we achieve that little slowing down, then yes, um, patience is possible, and then we start dedicating ourselves to the motion involved. Um, because Arch is all about alignment of many kinds. Um, alignment is very simple. It's not crooked, it's aligned. So patiently you, you align, you, you learn to align yourself mentally and physically, and then hopefully you'll have success. I've observed being a parent as well and having um, tried uh, a multitude of ways to see how how my son would engage in different types of athletic endeavors and in many of these situations I've seen the pressure that children are put on by their parents for whatever reasons. How do you deal with that and the fact that in many cases they internalize this and are very hard on themselves and super critical about performance on the basis of the standard of doing well and instant gratification and uh, if you don't win the gold, you don't count at all. Well, we all know that the more you, you want something, the less likely you are to achieve it. Uh, so wanting something really, really badly means that you are tense, you are nervous, uh, and then, then you cannot really act freely to get it. Uh, it applies in sports very clearly, that, and we all know that the more relaxed the, the athlete is, the more likely he or she is to succeed. And at the highest level, it's all about relaxing. We have the skill, we have the, the, the know-how, but if we are tense and nervous, we will not do well. So, But going back to your question about parental pressure or the pressure from the prevalent ways, you have to succeed. If you don't succeed, you're a failure. Parents are, are a headache quite often when I see that they try to coach the kid and, and, and put pressure on the kid to, to do well. And quite often I have to tell the parent to, to back off, you know, and say, you know, your kid needs one coach only. We don't want to confuse the kid. We also want the kid to have the, the coaching um, time and then a time, uh, the time away from archery. So it is important that uh, we have breaks from our work. So the kid comes to a session, does, does his or her work, and then nobody bothers him or her um, with archery at home. We need to talk about self-awareness. Um, if I'm aware of myself, which is hard to do in the Western society these days because you're attached to things. You're pressured by things. You, you know, your school is a pressure situation. Quite often your family is a pressure situation. Then you're attached to things like TVs and music, radios and, and the personal players, your headphones, your telephone, your cell phone. All those things take away from you the time that you need to have with yourself. I'll never forget, uh, and I appreciate immensely, the time that I had as a kid while walking to and from school. Uh, quite often I, I was uh, accompanied by my friends uh, who walked to the same school, but quite often I was walking alone, and I loved that time. A small town with trees and beautiful houses and, and, and lazy streets and sleepy streets. And, and I had time to be with myself. I had time to have my dreams and my, my thoughts and, and my connection with the surroundings rather than be occupied all the time by tunes in my head, you know, drilling into my brain through the headphones, which I hate, by the way. And so self-awareness, if, if we can teach, and, and well, and sport is, and especially sport like archery, because it's a alone sport. You're, you're alone on the line. When you shoot, you're d you, don't, you don't depend on anyone but yourself, which means there's no pressure uh, like it, there is in team sports. You have to react to it, you know, like in soccer. You have to run like crazy. You have to react to the ever-changing situation and so on and so forth. So you're un under constant pressure to act and react. Here, there's no such thing. You call the shots. It's up to you when, you know, raise the bow and, and draw the bow and, and shoot your arrow, although you do have uh, a time frame to, to do it with, but it's not that you have to shoot an arrow every arrow, I mean, uh, an arrow every five seconds. So self-awareness, having the time to be and to do. We live in the world in which there is, we, we rush, you know, because we want to thing, get things done. We, we want to, to achieve and, and, and accomplish and, and succeed. So we, we go like crazy. What does it do to us? Well, talk to any psychiatrist these days or psychologist, and they will tell you where we stand in terms of, of how relaxed or happy uh, a society we are. So if we can get a kid 
through archery or through any other individual sport to be most, more self-aware, to have more self-respect, to respect what I am. Well, you cannot respect who you are if you don't know who you are. Again, we learn who we are through actions and interactions. Now, if, if most of the actions that we perform is, is interacting with a computer or a TV or some kind of a technological device, uh, or piece of technology, I don't think this is this leads to becoming a human being the way human beings have been for millennia. But that's another question. Have you noticed a difference and how would you modify your approach when you're dealing with a young person versus someone who's taking to archery later on in le their lives? Well, kids naturally uh, are inclined to play more than adults. Adults need uh, time to relax from, from their daily occupations and, and uh, quite often I was told by adults that I worked with that, oh, this is so relaxing. I can forget about my, my work, my, my other um, commitments and, and just be with myself. That's fantastic. Kids uh, learn differently, more naturally. They absorb uh, through, um, through their skin more than through their brain. Adults uh, tend, on the other hand, tend to be more demanding of themselves at times, and they want success. I've put in so many hours where, where are my results kind of thing. And, and um, so slowing people down is one of the things that I have to do to begin with, in bo both with kids and adults. Once we slow down, we can start communicating and we can start doing things slowly. Uh, I say that in archery, the only fast thing is the arrow. So archers have to be slow, deliberate, peaceful, composed. I've spoken to some people who have considered archery a way of um, relieving frustrations. I think perhaps those frustrations that exist in work where you're afraid to speak your mind and uh, because of the power situations that they're under, uh, if they feel in some way, shape or form that they're, they're being abused or uh, exploited. In some instances, I've spoken to people who actually get a cathartic experience from the archery and visualizing that the target would be somebody that they're not particularly happy with in their lives. Do you feel that that serves a positive function? No, no, um, I do not view archery, uh, the sport of archery, as, a, as an aggressive thing in any shape or form. Um, if we're fighting in archery, we're fighting only with our own weaknesses. I'd, uh, I don't think uh, we want to shoot our mother-in-law, mothers-in-law or something, or our bosses. Um, but there are s several different aspects to what you just said, uh, one of them being redemption. Uh, I call this re uh, redemption, which means a person who has not been successful, successful in other um, aspects of their life, um, they, they find uh, an opportunity to, to be successful in archery. Beautiful, fantastic. That person can build their self-esteem and, and, and self-respect by doing well in archery. That's a very positive possibility. Another thing is that and as I said before, in archery, you call the shots, which means you are the boss. There is no other boss above you. You're not dependent on the team, uh, of which uh, being a part, you have to uh, cooperate. Here, you don't have to cooperate with anyone but yourself. And again, if you can find yourself to, co to cooperate with, then we're talking about some kind of harmony there. Do you find that the act of... Uh archery training in terms of the discipline involved and the fact that you have to focus and concentrate and be in the moment. Do you find that uh, people who have uh, studied under you give you feedback indicating that that has affected the way that they approach life in general and that their breathing and their ability to be in the moment has uh, increased as a, as a consequence of taking the archery to heart? Well, it, definitely there is a, there is a crossover there, uh, an overlap. Uh, as I said at the beginning, archery, in my opinion, um, well, archery is many things, and I have many definitions of the sport or the activity. One of them is, um, as I mentioned before, uh, the art of self-management. If you, or if one learns to self-manage well on the archery line with a bow in their hand, uh, facing the target at, at 50 meters, 90 meters, 30 meters, uh, if they learn that, uh, I am sure that they will be um, uh, more successful in life, uh, being able to self-manage uh, well in any situation and under any pressure. Uh, 
Have you observed any gender differences in the way your students approach the discipline of archery? Yes, I find that girls and women usually are more uh, patient and they don't expect success immediately as much as boys or, or men. Mm, they are much easier to work with usually. Uh, it's easier to communicate with without the, uh, the communication being tainted by by rushing towards success, towards results. Men or boys, uh, by nature, uh, result-oriented, and they want um, to make the kill, so they want to rush, and, and then I have to slow them down and, and, and explain, and sometimes it's a challenge, yes. Have you found that anyone who may have uh, submitted the possibility of working with you on a long-term basis were there people that you felt would get nothing from this and that uh, you'd have to tell them to choose something else as an alternative uh, way to explore sport? Um, immediately what comes to mind is, is two different scenarios. One is, well, first of all, I never had to tell anyone that uh, you're not uh, suitable for the sport, find something else. No. People... Uh, left the club because they had no patience or they were not successful enough early enough. Um, but two other things come to mind. One is that I have uh, helped several kids to be Canadian champions who were so obese that they couldn't run well. Along the, the same theme, quite a few times I said to the mother of, of or um, to, to the parents of kids who started archery with me, I told them, look, this kid needs sport. Your kid needs physical activity. And because the kid is on the heavy side or it's very introverted, it's not a, a team player, is, is not interested or drawn towards um, team sports, this may be the only chance for your kid to be introduced to athleticism, which in turn will lead to better health and a better life. So one, this is one, one thing that, that, is, that has happened many times and, and is very important. But the other thing that comes to mind is somewhat humorous because I've had several adult men who were bodybuilders or weightlifters, huge, big, muscular guys, and they didn't last more than five, six sessions because they were so strong and overusing their muscles uh, because that's how their, their body reacts. You know, you give me a, a physical challenge, no problem. I, I will lift your piano, you know. I will, I will lift your car if need be, right? But archery is not about, it's not like weightlifting. It's, it's a precision sport, and you have to be very relaxed, and you have to be uh, easing into position in archery rather than forcing yourself into it. So those guys didn't last long because they were frustrated looking upon a 10-year-old old kid, you know, next to him, uh, the kid is doing it beautifully in a relaxed and, and technically nice way, and this big guy, you know, next to the kid cannot do it well, so they didn't last long. One thing I have observed personally is on the part of the youth today, the attention span, and I think the media is very much one of the reasons for this, Generally speaking, uh, the youth of today have very short attention spans, and uh, their ability to stick to things has been severely compromised by the amount of choices that they have, uh, what they have access to. We have a cornucopia of things that children can do, a multitude of which happen to be all technologically oriented, and that's where they tend to gravitate. Have you noticed a change since 1995 with regards to attention span and the ability for the kids to concentrate for any length of time, or is that a non-issue? It is an issue. It's hard for me to pass general judgments in this respect because kids who end up with me are usually, usually come from families that care, uh, families that um, are above average in terms of education and, and uh, and uh, financial position. So the kids have patience. Those kids have patience. They are um, less exposed to, or they, they, their time in front of the TV is quite often restricted, and or they, they, their time with Game Boys and stuff like that. I've uh, had some, several families which said there is no Game Boy in, in my house, which I was very happy to, to hear. I'm very much against those, those what I call leisure technology, which contributes to what you have uh, mentioned uh, a minute ago, to the shallow, superficial, very temporary uh, engagement in something, uh, whereas there's uh, 
immediate gratification. And I tell kids that life is not about pushing buttons. And what happens if there is no power? What, what happens when your batteries uh, run down? Where would you be then? What would you be able to do? And, and, and where is your personal strength, both, both physical and mental? And we talk about this with kids a lot. Now, going back to your question, yes, I think that on, on generally speaking, what I call leisure technology and dependency on, on machines, on buttons, remote controls, uh, that is a huge problem. And this combined with the obesity that is prevalent uh, in North America among kids, well, we already hear voices from the medical profession and, and teachers and psychologists and psychiatrists that, who say that, that the market is overdoing it and we are being pushed into the situation where our kids become victims of, of technology. Uh, since the inception of your program, you've managed to consistently produce champions as a direct consequence of your coaching techniques. Would you perhaps be able to determine Looking back on all of these children and adults who have come through the program that you offer, what qualities do they have in common that would uh, make them candidates for that level of success? Oh, that's a wide question. Uh, there has been such a range of characters, of personalities, and let's put it this way. Different people want success for different reasons. Every person grows to their own rhythm and, and for their own reasons. I don't think that the common thread here would be that they all wanted success at all costs and, and they, were, they were ready to do anything to achieve success. I don't think that was the case. I would say that what they had in common was that they saw somehow in archery uh, a door to their personal growth a chance to achieve something that, that somewhere in their heart was and was there, and, and then they, they did it. So, yes, I would say that archery for them somehow was an opportunity for personal growth. Has the fact that performance is achieved within a specific environment, that can be replicated, but the pressure of doing this on an international level and uh, coping with a change in, in location and with the pressures of multinational competition, how well do people who would have performed very well within the confines of the school and within the confines of the program, how do they cope with taking this to another level? Well, you mentioned travel and, and being in different climate and, and on a different continent. I try to approach teaching archery from many different angles, one of them being exposing kids, our archers, to, to travel, to shooting and, and working and training in different conditions. We have our training camps in Ontario in the summer in very primitive conditions, by the way. That is uh, deliberate. We travel by car to Mexico twice a year and kids have to be in the car for 50 hours uh, straight or more and they travel through all kinds of climate uh, zones and time zones and through mountains and deserts and so on and so forth and then they train in a, in a different climate and come back home and so all those things are deliberately put into the course of their training. So they are prepared, and we've traveled to Europe to, to compete in, and uh, around Europe and, you know, by car. So it, all that is a component of their preparations for higher-level competitions, including, of course, international. Have you noticed any distinctions between children from an economically uh, deprived background versus children who are, are coming from affluent families? Very interesting question, and uh, the answer is simple. Uh, there are huge differences, very, very noticeable and perceivable. I find generally that kids from affluent families uh, or backgrounds want less because they have more. Uh, kids who come from poor families, single mom families, they want everything. They want more. And that can be channeled into their wanting success in sport. And I've seen kids like that from single mom families 
who became Canadian champions because they wanted to be appreciated. They wanted to deserve attention and affection, and they did. The, the whole country was clapping for them. So what would you suggest if you had a magic wand and you could wave it with regards to the powers that be and how they incorporate support of the sports and how that could be woven into the fabric of, of society as a whole? What would you suggest would be the main things that would require attention and improvement? Well almost inevitably we want to speak the word social justice. I think that without any doubt there is not enough opportunities for sport at all levels. And I, when I say sport, I don't mean recreation, for sport, for kids from poor neighborhoods. Let's put it this way, it's not enough for black kids to have basketball. And considering the fact that, that Canada would like to do better and better in, on, the, on the Olympic stage, uh, both in the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. I think that offering sports programs, serious sports programs, to kids from small towns, uh, from uh, poor neighborhoods, would create a, a pool of talent that Canada needs as the only way to succeed long-term on the Olympic stage. If I had a magic wand, I would put some thoughts in some, in some important people's heads about creating an Olympic movement among kids and youth of Canada, which means nationwide programs based on Olympic ideas and ideals that would solve many problems, including health care uh, for future generations, crime pre prevention, also, I think if, well, if I had a magic wand, I would persuade, well, I wouldn't have to persuade them because the magic wand works instantaneously. Our politicians would then accept full responsibility, care for and support our national champions in all age categories in all the competitive Olympic sports. What I mean is that any Canadian champion, regardless of the age category, that being under 12, under 14, who won a national medal in their sport should become the federal responsibility. These are the kids who have proven themselves on the national level and they are and only they can be the future Olympians. So if we don't support them, we, we will lose them. And I've seen that happen every year. So magic wand would be very much needed here. It seems a paradox given that you came from a country which was able to support this type of sport so that money was not an issue and the state would open the doors to anyone regardless of their economic background to be able to take advantage of these programs and so it was an even playing field regardless of where the child came from and here we are in a, a country that has a standard of living which many boast as being one of the, the top 10 in the world. How is it that we are not in a position to be able to organize this type of support for the children who basically constitute the future of this nation? Well, when you, when you ask how is it that we are not able to, to do that for our kids, I mean, what, what Poland, what communist Poland did for their kids, it's not a question for me, it's a question for the government. You said standard of, of living, uh, that Canada has a very high standard of living. I would ask, where is the standard of thinking about our future generations? So if we, if we have, if you want success in, this, in sports, if you want to have a healthy nation, and by the way, look at the Australian population in that context, let's match our standard of thinking with our standard of living. Well, I hope to live to see that day, but uh, there seems to be a, a huge gap between those two concepts right now. So hopefully that, that will change in the future, and hopefully it'll be the youth of today that make that happen. The curriculum itself has changed drastically from the time that I remember growing up and going through the high school program. Uh, physical education was compulsory at the time that I was going to school, and now it's actually optional. So... Is that perhaps part of the problem? Well, I would love to say no comment, but <laughs> since you asked the question, how can you expect your nation to be healthy 
if you don't offer serious opportunities to the kids to become active, especially in the view of the fact that we are more and more sedentary, we're attached to technological wonders such as cell phones and computers and televisions. So I don't know, you tell me why things are the way they are. Um, where's the health sense? Well, there's a little emphasis placed on that in terms of where the priorities were among the ancient Greeks. When it came to Olympic achievements, all you got was laurel leaves around your head, and that was enough to be competing for. Whereas now, I think, for example, a lot of the professional athletes uh, who end up being seduced by endorsement offers after they've achieved acclaim and celebrity status usually money tends to corrupt the entire picture. Well, you use the words money and corrupt. No more comment on that. But let's not forget the fact that why sports were so important in the 19th and 20th century in, in Europe. We cannot underestimate the fact the main force of any army was infantry at that time. And in, uh, good infantry meant strong young men. How would one go about creating a population of strong men by offering serious physical education in schools and the whole culture of, of masculine strength and youth, strong youth. So uh, let's not overlook those facts. Because Canada is where it is in terms of, if, of its military thinking and necessities, uh, we don't need infantry. And I think it's worth mentioning that what we call mixed martial arts or ultimate fighting kind of thing, which uh, I, I guess most of us are familiar now. It's, it's a new way of one-on-one of -on -one fighting uh, in an octagon uh, ring. There is a, this is the fastest growing sport in North America, ultimate fighting or mixed martial arts, which means two men are fighting until one submits, and you can use any technique almost and a lot of blood flows and there are broken bones and so on and so forth. Now, why is it that we are going back to this kind of thing? One of the reasons is that there has been this one-sided push towards sedentary, button-pushing satisfaction. You know, we, we sit down and we play Game Boys or, or watch television and we make no effort and things are happening and we're excited, we're happy because things are happening at the push of a button. And this is now our humanity, if you will, our bodies are demanding action, action, our masculinity also is surfacing and we want to become fighters again. Men, by definition, for millennia and more, we've been hunters and warriors and, and we are now being limited to the roles of button pushers and so forth. And then this is now that the pendulum is swinging the other way. So as I say, the ultimate fighting is the fastest growing sport in North America. I think uh, a lot of things haven't changed as much as, as we have been exposed to progress by whoever's definition you want to use on a technological level. Certain things remain the same. What you've just described reminds me of the days of the gladiators where you had the, the Roman Colosseum completely crowded with swarms of people who were waiting for the emperor to turn the thumbs down and, and have some person die right there in the ring in front of everyone. I don't know if, if this is the, the place to say this, but if we look at history of, of humanity or at least uh, from the birth of Christ, the question would be, have we seen the diminishment of armed conflict? Or is there a very constant occurrence of, and, and periodic occurrence of, of war? And if you ask me, I see war happening everywhere. So what does that mean? What does it tell us about the, the human nature and the nature of the culture that we have created? The big eat small. Right, and and I don't know if we, as I say, if it's the place to, to mention this aspect of of, of our predicament uh, right now. But we are in constant war. There is no diminishment of, of conflict anywhere. So are we becoming more humanized or, or civilized? I don't think so. In tune with what I said about the ultimate fighting, if we watch the movie uh, Fight Club, which is a very interesting movie from that perspective, because it tells us how our lifestyles are leading us away from what we were designed to be. If you tell me that humans were designed to push buttons, I will disagree with you. 
uh, we all know what happens to a person who does not use their muscles. Try to stay in bed for three months and we'll see if, we can, if you can get, get up from it after three months of not getting up. So uh, there's a very interesting line in that movie that one guy says to the other, what do you expect? We are a generation of men brought up by women. Well, that in and of itself is something to certainly reflect on. And I just wanted to tie in what you said with the whole notion of physical versus mental with uh, a statement by Omori Sigen Roteshi who said, Zen without realization of the body is empty speculation. So perhaps we could wind down this conversation by determining how that mind-body connection works within the context of a Western mindset. Well, you threw at me a question that is so loaded that I don't know what to say. On the one hand, we can say that everything we are is in the body, and the, the nature of the body dictates who we are and what we should do. On the other hand, we can say also that our nature is in our mind, and the mind is the source of everything, and if the body moves, it's only because the, the mind or the brain told it to do so. Harmony is one thing that comes to mind. Purposefulness is another one that comes to mind. If you have a purpose, then your body will react and do what, what's expected of it. On the other hand, well, I believe that, that our mind is like a computer or a calculator. We should only use it when we need it. We don't need idling. We don't need our mind to generate unnecessary, unwanted, futile thoughts, which it does. And this is why meditation was, uh, and Zen was developed, you know, as the means of quieting the mind, because they, they knew that it can destroy your life. It can become the master, the, the, the babbling master of your life. We don't want to be a, you know, have a babbling uh, master in, in our head. So the quiet mind is the stronger mind. The relaxed body or and strong body is a healthy... Well, I was told when I was a kid that a thought that does not lead to action is a waste of time. Which means think when you need to and follow it by action if action is necessary. This again brings us to the subject of harmony between mind and body and the existence and necessity of purpose. How much would you attribute the maladies of our current society with our disconnection from nature and the fact that there are natural rhythms that we are not tuned into and how does archery help to make that connection happen? Another loaded question. I think you're asking me to say too many words here. and. Uh, we haven't mentioned, and I'm glad that you asked this question because we haven't so far mentioned the word nature. When I work with kids, I try to draw to their attention the fact that everything they are, everything they eat, everything they wear, everything they possess, whatever they, that might be, comes from nature. And this is how I, this is the, 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 the simplest way I can draw their attention to the fact that there is a source from which we come. We also talk at times about the circle of life, that we eat other creatures to survive, and then we, in turn, will be their food when we are buried in the ground. So these are the basic things that I try to draw to their attention, so they start considering aspects of being connected to nature. I consider the disconnection from nature the worst thing or the, the source of all problems of mankind. If there's one word I would use to describe the, the modern man, the modern human, human being, kids and adults of course alike, would be disconnected. We are connected to our possessions, we are connected to the walls and TVs and cars and jobs and, and ideas and, and, and concepts. But we are we, we're three inches off the ground, we're not walking, we're, not, we, we just, we're suspended. And again, the way I work with kids is take them 
into nature. We, we have our training camps in nature. We, we travel to, to our faraway training camps in Mexico, and that's reconnecting. We sit under the stars on the beach. We, we spend time in the ocean. We, we walk around and say, oh, this is where I live. This is planet Earth. To, to tie the whole thing together, because I've had the benefit of experiencing your coaching methods firsthand, I want to just uh, lighten the tone because we've discussed quite a few very heavy topics uh, within the course of this dialogue. How much does humor factor into, into your methodology? Because quite often taking yourself too seriously can really get in the way of of making this flow happen? Well, working with people is working with energy. And there are so many different aspects of energy that we need to employ in order to communicate. And again, communication is nothing but flow of energy. So if you feel that you're overusing one way, uh, one aspect of energy, one kind of energy, you have to balance it with another one, then we start doing funny things, you know. We change the voice and, and we say whatever and, and, and then we tell jokes or we, we make people laugh if need be. Bearing in mind that it all has a purpose. What's the purpose? I think that will leave to the audience to determine. Mache, thank you so much for offering up your time. And for those who are in the area who might be able to benefit from your teaching, could you tell them how to connect to the school and yourself? Well, thank you very much for having me and for the opportunity to say a few words. And um, I hope you find them uh, useful. And uh, we are the Toronto School of Archery, and it's www. Toronto School of Archery, as one word, .ca. Thank you. Thank you very much once again, and best of luck in your future creation of further champions. <laughs> you will have to forgive the background noise because Mache is a very busy man, and we were in the midst of the ambiance of the club, which he presides over, so please forgive the audio quality. Hopefully you can still hear what he had to say. It was so important, particularly now with what is going on in the world, and I hope you gain some benefit by hearing it, although that is one of the consequences of recording on location. Until next time, keep that mind and body harmony flowing.